This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! Show me the money! <laughs> My name is Jared, and uh, with me today is Ryan. Hey, film fans. And Austin. Yo. All right. So one thing got to say up top here, Austin is having some microphone issues. So actually we're hearing him today through his Apple earbud things. So not the most ideal situation, but we're going to do the best we can. Yeah, it just was a last minute technical difficulty. And so we'll do better next time. Uh, So sorry about that, guys. But also wanted to have a couple other announcements. So one, I want to congratulate our boy Austin because he just got a book deal. Woo! Oh, thank Hell you. Yeah, man. So tell us what, what's going on. What's the book about? And uh, <laughs> when can we see it on the shelves? Oh, gosh. So it's called Creating Society as a Work of Art. And it proceeds in two stages. So the first is my sort of fresh reinterpretation of um, of a very obscure text by Jean-Paul Sartre. That You know, he's known for being like the existentialist. And uh, people kind of associate him with being a nihilist and talking about human freedom and kind of creating meaning in a world that doesn't have objective meaning. But in his later life, he started theorizing about trying to bridge that idea together with uh, sort of political concerns and social concerns about how it is that we can have group freedom. And he start, stops thinking about like hell as other people and all of these famous things that he's kind of known for. And he starts thinking about whether or not it's possible to have intersubjective relations and why it is that conflict and strife settle into groups and communities even after like moments of revolutionary freedom or after moments of solidarity why is it that bureaucracy settles in and why is it that we inevitably fall into institutions and why is it that supreme court justice nominee uh, hearings go shit shows you know like that sort of thing and he kind of develops a framework for analyzing that and i think that everybody who's ever read his text basically has missed something and so i'm trying to argue for a fresh way of how to use the imagination as being an integral part towards our analysis of analyzing social systems so that we can unpack them, find out where we went wrong uh, in our creation of those social systems, and then rebuild them afresh with a better lens. Yeah. Sounds, <laughs> so, the sound... first part, so the first part is all theoretical, and then the second part, it tries to be much more practical. And I look at the imagination, and then I look at kind of contemporary uh, struggles in politics and try to argue how it is that we can apply this framework of thinking to our own issues today. Sounds cool. Good luck writing it, my friend. Um, one thank other, you, thank you. Yeah, one other thing I want to announce. So uh, we just started something really cool on our South Park podcast. It is a voicemail service. So if you want to give us a call, leave us a voicemail. We, you know, on top of doing mailbag where we will read your emails with your comments, questions, insights. We'll also uh, have you guys leave us messages and then we'll play it on the podcast. The so, funnier, the better. The funnier, the better, but also the more insightful, the better. Or oh, yeah, that's Just that a too. question, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Just if you want to tell Ryan that his voice sounds fat, if you want to tell me I'm too meta, <laughs> if you want to tell Austin that he wanks off with his intellectualism too much, all of that is up for grabs. <laughs> so uh, give us a call at 213-534-8807. Once again, that's 213 
8807. And got some new sound effects today, trying out everybody. Yeah. <laughs> also, last thing me and Ryan are doing a Wisecrack live Halloween show October 26th at 10 p.m. in LA with the guys from Funhouse. So, uh, oh, yeah. Adam Kovic and company, details to come. But without further ado, today we're talking about John Wick 2, directed by Chad Stileski, starring Keanu Reeves. As always, let's get some first impressions. Tell me what you think about this movie, Ryan. Well, um, I wasn't here for it your... It sounded like a challenge. That was like <laughs> yeah. a John Wick challenge. <laughs> it's like, how do you summarize your love for John Wick? Um, I mean, it's... Yeah, man. man's dog gets killed. Man shoots everyone he sees that had anything to do with it. Uh, the end. Well, I that think was it, the first movie. I know, and so I'm, I'm saying I wasn't okay. here for the first movie. Uh, so I, I love, I just love the concept of John Wick. You know, I love genre movies. I love shoot 'em up action movies. So this is like, I think the best one we got going today. You know, uh, like if yeah. if the, if the raid was, you know, did. For movies, what you know, like it, the raid was the best martial arts movie, you know, that you couldn't touch, and then this is like yeah. your best, just like if the raid shoot made, them up movie. If the raid made as much money as the John Wick series, yes, and I mean the raid three it got popular. The though. raid three isn't even being worked on right now. Right, it's still going to happen one day, hopefully. Doubt but it. yeah, John Wick three is already done shooting. It's coming out in twenty nineteen. Super excited for it. But yeah, in terms of John Wick two, I I would say I mean it is very similar to the first. I feel like mm-hmm. you know and I mean it does open up the world a little bit more of how the the underworld there works. I love how the fact that pretty much it seems like everyone is an assassin just sitting on the street. <laughs> Anybody <Yeah>. like <laughs> you know everyone walking around, which everyone I think is hilarious, phone, and yeah. no one just knows it. Um, so yeah, I uh, uh, overall great. I like seeing people get shot in the head, but did it really do more than the first? No, but did it need to? So that's my review. Fair question. What about you, Austin? Uh, yeah. So first time I saw it, I actually fell asleep while I was watching it because I don't know if it was just I wasn't digging it or what. But um, so the second time I watched it was last night in preparation for this. And listen, I I love the first John Wick. And I feel like the way that I had to get into the second John Wick was by remembering, like, explicitly that this is all just continuing from them killing his dog and stealing his car. That was how I could, like, enjoy his his rampage. Otherwise, I, I feel like as a standalone movie, you know how sometimes sequels can kind of function a little bit detached from the first one? Like, yeah, they're sequels. And they're somehow related, but they're still a little bit detached. For me, this one only works if you just keep it in mind that this is still like the same sequence of events. And you have to really make sure that you're like, yeah, this is still all part of it. This is a four hour long movie, basically. It is funny. There's a long intermission. We talked about this in our John Wick 1 podcast, but it's funny how even Ryan, when summarizing what John Wick 1 is, he doesn't even mention the wife, which, as Austin (laughs) pointed out, is that the dog is simply just a symbol of transference for his pain about his wife dying, but right. nobody remembers that. It's just that you fuck with my dog, I will burn you to the ground. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I actually think the second one is like, it's not, I don't think it's quite as good because I feel like as a film, it just doesn't have as much story, right? Like, really? Because the story, the story, the setup is all in the first one. <laughs> That's not true. I mean, it, the, only in that you could say the first one is about a guy trying to retire and then he gets pulled back in and then he gets pulled back in this time, but for different reasons and for reasons that 
are a continuation of things that are hinted at in the first one, this whole idea that he had to make a deal with this guy Santino that allowed him to, quote, get out the first time. So I think that more so than the dog dying, the common trend is that John Wick is a guy who wants to retire and wants to live a peaceful life, but as Al Pacino said, gets sucked back in. You kind of see that story a lot, right? And so, you do. But the guy going on a rampage because you killed his dog because the dog is the sort of emblem of his dead wife, like that shit's that, – that I don't know. It just had an originality to it that obviously is hard to sustain in a sequel. That's the only thing. I mean I still like the fucking movie. It's a good movie, but I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be critical here. I really, really – if I had one complaint about this movie, and Jerry, you're, you're going to hate this, but I wish that the second dog had been killed. I mean – Oh, fuck you. You just uh, – uh, like like Austin just said, you know, like you 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 got to keep the first dog in mind, but there's a second dog. It's like Chekhov's gun. This is Chekhov's dog that we have in in, in John Wick too. If you see the dog in the first act of the movie, the he dog better be dead by the he no, better he be dead by the to, end. In John in Wick the third too. movie, I think the dog is gonna like kick ass with him. I mean, that's what, that's what I want to see. I want to see. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't think the dog is going to have a gun with a silencer, but I think the dog will at least like bite somebody, you know, at a, at a crucial moment when John Wick, his safety is compromised and the dog comes in and saves the day. Well, that's what I want to see. Uh, yeah, I, I do too. And, and just you, you mentioned the silencer. The silencer battle in the train station is hilarious when they're like shooting <laughs> oh, each other. Yes, like, yes. Like just trying to silently yes, shoot each other. Yes. There's a lot of really good like, like, like action comedy in this movie yeah, more actually, than the first one so if i had to yeah i think that i'm glad you brought that up or i brought that up i'm glad it's, you brought that up a... too because that's my first talking point is about humor yeah. in this movie which i think is what makes it so successful i mean obviously what makes it successful is the amazing fight choreography all of the action all that stuff but things like that get too heavy and too serious if you don't balance it out with a little bit of comedy and, amen baby and um you know not necessarily in the marvel way i mean the marvel movies do it I love how in their own in their own very effective way, but I think this does it in a. I mean, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying that this one does it in a bit more of a subtle way. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, anyway, why is it? Do you think that sequels tend to go that route more than originals? Do like sometimes the original. I can't. I'm trying to think of other examples, and I can't right now. Well, I think but the original will case, come out and there's less comedy, and then the sequels come out and they up the comedy, they up the winks and the nods to the audience. Is it because you just can't? maintain like i think a level in this, case, in this case with multiple facets they just lean into what works in, in, you think and, that's and, it yeah with all the world building and the the ways that we discussed in the first one and the way that they'll use kind of cryptic dialogue to hint at a greater world in which we fill in the blanks that's done even more so this time the the comedy is leaned into more i just think that they, they bring in morpheus and neo to have a reunion oh yeah the morpheus neo reunion that's pretty cool although I don't know. I kind of feel like Lawrence Fishburne overacted a little bit in this one. He's like, somebody get this man a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite series that's currently going on right now. I love Keanu Reeves. I love the action. I mean, you brought up the raid earlier. Something very dear to my heart is practical action choreography. And I just, you know, I love going into a movie and knowing that it's not just a bunch of Hollywood models against a green screen emoting on cue. I was in pain watching this movie at some parts. I mean, you can't, you know that even the stunts, that like the stunts hurt. You know, oh, yeah, the, Keanu Reeves got hurt in the filming of the third one. It was a publicized thing. I mean, I don't think he's— The second like, one, you mean? No, no, the third one that just finished oh, wrapping wow. up a couple months ago. The, oh, the one with him on a horse shooting a guy in the head on a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, cool. So I love this movie. I really have not much except praise for it. I, I'm not like super critical. I'm not expecting something hugely profound, but I think that there's a lot of things that you can appreciate about this movie as to why it works as well as it does. So uh, we're mostly going to be talking about that today. But without further ado, let's go into a recap. Shortest recap ever. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty short. Uh, not long after the conclusion of John Wick Chapter 1, finds John trying to tie up loose ends, recovering his car, and establishing peace with the remaining Russian crime family. Unfortunately, another attempt at retirement is cut short when a mysterious acquaintance named Santino shows up and presents John with a marker. Bound by the marker to do whatever favor Santino asks, John is tasked with killing Santino's sister in order to consolidate Santino's power in his crime family. Seeing it as the only way to escape once again, John heads to Rome, gears up, and confronts Santino's sister, who, when faced with the inevitable, kills herself to end things on her own terms. Santino crosses John when he sends mercenaries to avenge his sister's murder. Now John has to kill dozens of assassins on his way to kill Santino. With the entire world's community of assassins after him, John is forced to request the help of the Bowery King, who arms him and points him into the direction of Santino. John pursues Santino through a modern art exhibit, piling bodies along the way until he catches up with him at the Continental. John breaks one of the two cardinal rules of the Continental and kills Santino on safe ground, excommunicating him and forfeiting his life. The manager warns him that he has one hour before the entire criminal underground will be after him. So John flees into the city, his dog at his side. End of movie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the first thing I want to bring up that Ryan already hinted at is humor. And I want to ask you guys, do you guys remember, it's not the first shot of the movie, but it's basically the first thing we see that's not just the cityscapes. It's technically the fourth shot of the movie. But do you guys know what I'm referencing? Ooh, <clears throat> give me a little more. Okay. Something is being projected on the side of a building before we pan oh, down, yeah, before was... we tilt down and see a motorcycle being, like, hit by a car or something. Right, yeah. Uh, the... It's like a Buster Keaton movie. Right. It's like it's like some old-timey 1920s movie, and it's like the exact same stunt that we see like right under it a second later. Yeah. I had not noticed this any other time I'd watched the movie, but I found it really interesting. It you really didn't notice that? It takes up the whole sh- shot. I mean, I'm, I don't remember it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I, and I didn't consider it's why it's meaningful. I really think it sets the tone of the movie's awareness of its comedy, because we see mm. a Buster Keaton movie projected on the side of a building, which, first of all... Where do you see that happening? I never see that. Where does this movie take place? Is it New York? Is it? I, yeah, I feel like it's New York. Well, I mean, at least at the, I know it, it's New York at the very end. He doesn't like go anywhere else, right? But it's definitely New York. Well, he goes again, to Rome. He's in Central Park. Yeah, he goes to Rome. I, I, I've seen stuff projected on the That's side right, of the Rome before, but like I mean, it is a strange, weird choice and a strong one to begin a movie with. Like, yeah, this. it's a strong choice, and it's interesting how the crashes that we hear happening with John chasing the guy on the motorcycle is in sync with the Buster Keaton clashes mm. and stuff, which I thought... So you think was... that was, like, their signal that, like, this is going to be a comedy version of John Wick? 
Kind of. No, I don't think it's any more of a comedy version than the first one. I just think that... I do. There's a ton of comedy in this movie. There's a lot of scenes. It's like Jackie Chan movies, you know, where it's just like... Yeah, it's, it, funny, yeah. it's like you get kind of bored of watching people just hit each other, so then he finds funny ways to do it. And it's... But that's well, present in the first one. And Jackie Chan one, says that but his not hero so is Buster Keaton. Right. Like, he, he, he's... I mean, I think... I didn't know this until many years later. I thought that Jackie Chan was just like a martial arts Jean-Claude Van Damme type. No but, way, man. You know, doing his own thing, coming over from, from China. No, he's a he's a physical comedian, or he's a physical performer, physical comedian. So all of his stunts and things, he views himself in the lineage of Buster Keaton. And that this film ties that in as well is, I think, kind of trying to say, we are also participating in that same lineage. That's fucking cool. Yeah. No, but uh, Jackie Chan is the man. Uh, but Oh, yeah, dude. But even in the first one we talked about in our last podcast, there were times where he shoots a guy in the stomach, the guy's writhing in pain, and he takes the time to reload and then <laughs> yeah. shoots him in the head. We see something similar happen in this For one. For sure, there's comedy present in both. But to me, there's like entire comedy sequences. Like that one where there's silent going, using silencers in a crowded train station, that is a full-on comedy scene, you yes. know? Yes, and, and then there's just a ton of moments like that with the homeless guy, you know, and all the homeless uh, assassins. You know, there's just... Really funny moments like that throughout the, the throughout the whole thing, and I think that that was definitely a conscious choice. So, like, how far can we take the operatic comedy of sh- killing people with silencers? And, yeah, and plus and you get to actually see him kill somebody, kill two people with a pencil. Oh yeah, that yeah. was fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved yeah when he held it against the wall and then he just pushes the guy's head into the back of it. Oh yeah. It's amazing. But the thing is, is you ask most people to think about John Wick, they wouldn't call it a comedy. They would call it a straight action movie. But I really think that the reason why a movie like this can succeed at the level that it does is it undercuts its very dire sincerity. Because you just can't have that kind of morose seriousness uninterrupted throughout a whole movie. Well, what's so awesome about uh, the comedy in this movie is that is that, yeah, like you're saying, everybody is very serious. No one ever says a quote-unquote joke verbally. Right. It's all you're funny from the situation, the context of the mm. situation with all these super deadly serious assassins. And then... And then, yeah, the the whole comedy also coming from just how there are rules to the assassin game. You know, it's like these people who are literally kill people for a living. But, you know, that's like comedy. That, that's a whole comedic setup. But yeah. no, everyone is deadpan. Like, you know, you're breaking the rules to our killer club right now. You know, like that's that's <laughs> right. funny. Well, and, the, and they also know who John Wick is. So I love that bit at the end when he gives him time. When Ian McShane gives him time, because it's clearly like saying, all right, we're going to cause shit to go crazy in New York City because we have an open hit on you. We've already seen the chaos that you've caused. It's almost like they're giving license for chaos to ensue. (laughs) You know, they're like, yeah, "Yeah, fuck it. Well, which is why I think the ending of this movie is so exciting for the third one is because we do see these first two movies that are built upon this world with very strict rules that people treat with the utmost reverence and now at the end of the second movie it's like well guess what all the rules are out the out the window because you are excommunicado and the whole fucking world is after you that just that i mean what a cliffhanger (laughs) it's not it's not like a cliffhanger as to like oh man i can't believe they didn't reveal something essential to the conflict of this of the movie that we just watched but if it's a cliffhanger in that wow we're about to see you know what happens when the rules break down of this very civilized and very gentlemanly group of killers yeah uh yeah so there's there's some lines i want to read 
that uh, are callbacks to the first movie. And a lot of this is in the opening scene. So I love in the opening scene, the two guys, the brother of the Russian mobster from the first one is talking to, I guess, his assistant or something like that. And he says, why is this happening? Because my nephew killed a fucking dog and stole his car, a car which is currently among our inventory. So we're giving everything up just for a car. It's not just a car. It's John Wick's car. And then he just goes, oh. <laughs> and every, everybody just and, and that's enough the exact said. enough said you don't have to say anything more it's just that that same thing happened with the Russian mob boss from the first one is when John Leguizamo tells him uh, because he killed John Wick's dog and stole his car and he's just like oh <laughs> and then I, I love they do kind of a re they restate the whole monologue about John Wick being a man of focus commitment except this time they cut him off he says and sheer fucking will he once killed three men in a bar with a pencil. I know, I've heard the story. And the other guy's like, with a fucking pencil? <laughs> Who the fuck can do that? So funny. And um, and then after that, when John Wick is coming, so, so now the Russian mobster's by himself, drinking a drink, scared shitless, and you just hear in the distance people getting their skulls cracked <laughs> and all this violence happening. And, you, and then, you know, then in comes Keanu Reeves. You know, it's like what you don't show almost that creates the comedy here. Mm. Yeah, and the legend, the legend. John Wick. He is a legend. Who's another? For sure. uh, uh, I I feel like that's been in movie history before. Uh, the one that comes off my head is like uh, Unusual Suspects with Kaiser Sozo. Just there's this mysterious. You mean the Usual Suspect? Yeah, what I just said. You said Unusual. Oh yeah, Usual Suspects. But yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then the, maybe like the Man with No Name series, kind of just like there's things unsaid about his past, about how he became this person, mm -hmm. and they don't really ever tell you, but it creates this legend. There's actually a small detail in this movie that I think works to what you're saying here that I think is really interesting. So this is when Common's character, who who the <laughs> yes. fuck knew he could kick ass, was crazy. <laughs> uh, Common's character goes down to the subway where they're about to meet, like they're about to fight for their final fight where Keanu kills him by sticking the knife in his heart. And oftentimes in noir movies and action movies, we see a villain and we see a train pass the villain's point of, or we see the train pass our, the audience's point of view and usually it obscures the villain and then he's like gone or something. And it's always meant to give this air of mystery to the villain as to kind of heighten his... Yeah. And, you know, heighten our fear of this guy. But interestingly, in that scene, we're at, in Common's point of view, and then we mm. see the train pass and Keanu Reeves disappears. And so it's just, it's interesting how this movie, that all the badass mythology, it's not building up the villains. We all know that the villains can't stand a chance against John Wick. <laughs> right. But still, it works somehow. <laughs> Right? Yeah, absolutely works. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that moment because as a my whole life I feel like as a spectator of movies and now as an editor, like that moment when when people just disappear, like you know, it's like, oh, oh, and one more thing. Oh, and then the hero the person's just gone. Right. It's right. always like, what the fuck? That's bullshit. No one can just walk away like silently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even ninjas. You know, if you're right next to them. Yeah. Uh so but yeah, it, it works in this movie because it's a fucking movie. But yeah. It's just, I, I love yeah, the, it's and, funny and there's something that. that was so nice about it too. Not only does John Wick disappear, but he disappears, and then you get a gap supposedly in between the trains where you see him walking to his, I guess, to his left and to our screen right, and uh, 
And again, it, it, it is playing with the expectation that he would just like disappear into the night like a ninja. But he doesn't. He slowly just walks down the platform a little bit and then he gets on the train, which is which is I mean, how did they both get on the same train? Because usually at train stations, you don't get on at both sides. But yeah, which is which is a strange thing. Um, so it is weird how you can't get people on the train, but but whatever. The, the but the point is is that it's just a really nice little sequence of playing, like you said, with the audience's expectations, and then a nice kind of sequence of editing and and whatnot that show that different perspective. But I I don't know why, but for some reason that shot of getting a glimpse of him, like walking. Whereas normally the train comes and then all of a sudden the guy's disappeared, right? But this one, they give you that little glimpse of, no, we're not going to kind of go that same route. And you see him walking. And then all of a sudden you know that John Wick is still on the other side of that train. And that was kind of a nice little filmmaking tactic, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Uh, All right, guys, you want to talk about world building? I think this is the thing that is most impressive about the first one and also about the second one. Um, oh yeah, this is what makes the movies, man. Absolutely. What What's your favorite element that we were introduced to in this one? Oh, absolutely. What Ryan said. I just love how everyone's a fucking assassin. Yeah. You know what my <laughs> you, know? you know what my favorite scene is, the sommelier. You know what I'm talking about? The sommelier uh, yeah. is the, the gun, gun ec- the gun dude. Oh yeah. It's like the most sensual scene in the film. There's a part where mm. the guy is describing a shotgun and he says. It has textured grips, should your hands get, and then he, like, pauses for a second and says, wet. <laughs> it's, like, I, it's almost like they were mm. flirting in that scene. And I found that I found that scene to be really awesome because it was also, like, super... I found it to be really subversive in a time where everyone is very critical about guns and guns as a hot topic control, just to see these two men just geeking out and fetishizing <laughs> these weapons... I thought was well, you're, fucking you're from awesome. Texas, right? I'm from Texas. I know how to fetishize you, a good gun. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, you're, you're, you're from a place where people walk around with the gun on their hip when they're in Starbucks, right? I never really saw that that much. I mean, I, I had some, more than anything, growing up in Texas, you meet a lot of people who grow up and go into the military. I don't know anybody who's in the military in L.A. or who has, I guess I just don't know young people with aspirations or I don't know people <laughs> who have come back from the military. But I grew up with a bunch of kids who were obsessed with going into the military. And so, you know, they would read things like guns and ammo and they would be really uh, excited about, you know, airsoft guns and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's I It's totally just not as it. common in L.A., man. The L.A. culture is more skinny jeans and I want to start my own clothing line rather than I want to go and fight and carry a gun, you know? <laughs> I, the, 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 the whole uh, uh, blood oath kind of like, like really getting into like what a blood oath means yeah. for these people and how seriously they take that was was pretty cool you know because that's kind of a universal thing even kids can relate to that you fucking you're gonna go back on a on an oath you promise you swore yeah that I means mean... a lot even though we're murderers and we break every law that's on the books you better not break <laughs> this oath I, mentioned... I see your blood here I mentioned this in the John Wick one podcast the way that this movie starts the way that it's brought back in is awesome he just takes this medallion, sets it on the table, and then says, I do this with a heavy heart. A marker is no small thing, John. For a man to give another man a marker is to bind a soul with a blood oath. And it's one line of exposition, and we get it immediately. Because just like you said, we know what a blood oath is, and we see immediately how this man could get pulled back in, even though he just killed the entire New York Russian mob. And, And honestly, it kind of made me, in a very strange way, not sympathize with John Wick as much whenever he said, you know what, man, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I, I, I know it's a blood oath, but I'm not going to do it. It's like, dude, John, 
you made a blood oath with this person. Well, what he is gets wrong his with fucking you? house blown well, up. Well, right, so. but it's kind of like, well, yeah, I have way less. You know, the dog thing came out of nowhere in the first one with, you know, some asshole. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I can see him wanting to have a, rec- a day of reckoning. This was like, we told you, we warned you, we came to your house, you gave a blood oath, you're not, you're going back on it. We're gonna burn everything down. I mean, I don't. I have less sympathy for for him in this one. Well, the re, but but it is ultimately, uh, Santino is the bad guy because he crosses John and just throws him under the bus and says, "Yeah, people are telling me my sister died. So uh, what am I supposed to do? I'm her brother. Obviously, I got to go tell the entire criminal underground to go kill John Wick." Well, so, right. So, so that's why. I mean, that's the whole second act. I mean, the first act, you would think like, okay, so he gets the marker, yeah, he goes point, and kills the woman. You know, then he can go back to being. Dog dad. Well, right, because then at that point, Santino has gone back on the gone back of the, of the blood oath. You know, so well, he hasn't then, gone back on the blood oath. He's just a dick afterwards. Well, right. or it's just rules within rules, right? Because the rule is okay. You've got this blood oath. You have to be faithful to that. But then at the same time, if someone kills your family, you have to avenge them because that's just what you do. So obviously, it's like uh, it's just like these this paradox, these points of contradiction. Yeah. You got to just fucking keep going. Going along with the rules. Blood man. before blood oath. is going to happen? Right. Yeah. I, I also love how this whole thing with the markers contextualized that this is the thing that allowed you to achieve the night of your impossible task. We don't know the details of how Santino helped him, but we get from the first one that this impossible task is how he put the Russian mobster from the first one into power and ultimately how he got out of the mob. So I think it's interesting how... Mm. The fact that he was able to even have that brief life with his wife is only because of this marker, and that's one of the things that comes back to haunt him. So they don't really explain the marker too much. They kind of hint at it, but what what exactly is the marker? Well, all we know is that it's uh, there's two sides of it. Both of them have space for a bloody thumbprint, and if basically it's like a, the most epic IOU of all time. It's like Blood Brothers for it's real. Like I may come, it's like a, I may come to you. What, I'm trying to do a Don Corleone impression. <laughs> it's like I, I will give you any favor on the day of my daughter's wedding, and then one day. But I one may day I come, come to you. One day when I come for you, ask you a favor. You better be there in return. You're doing all right. <laughs> what, Jared? <laughs> I come for you next. Um, all right. So the another really cool thing. <laughs> I don't think any of us are very good at impressions. We yes, got, I, get... I am, Jared. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Bowery King. Let's talk about Lawrence yeah, Fishburne. I love how Keanu Reeves just walks up to this homeless guy and just says, take me to him, tell him it's John Wick. And then already our minds are firing off into, oh, okay, so now there's a whole underworld behind homeless people now. <laughs> yeah. And then it turns out you think that, okay, he's just going to hide him, but nope. This homeless guy who's supposedly begging for change, the two guys chasing John Wick come up to him. The guy just whips out a silencer and just headshots both of them. <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck? And I just, I, I, it's so amazing. I love how they— Well, and they were cops, weren't they? I think they were cops, yeah. I think they're cops, and he shoots them. And then these two other goons come out, and then they drag the cops away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Super efficient. <laughs> Super efficient. Well, it's just, it's just crazy. It makes me think that— in the third one, are they going to build this out even further so that taxi drivers, they're a part of it, and yes. soccer moms, oh, they're yeah. a part of it. <laughs> like, everyone. I like how it's it, they have this really interesting thing with, like, high-class, low-class. So it's either a high-class sommelier 
who also sells guns or like an expensive Italian suit vendor who also sells bulletproof vests or puts them inside the suits. Or it's a homeless population who controls an underground arms market. Or like they have the Hasidic bankers in the hood who have some sort of understanding with the mob. So my question is, if we take this high-class, low-class thing, what other underworlds would there be in John Wick 3? So I want to ask you guys, what do you think? I mean, I think that since he's going to be after, he's it's going to be John Wick on the run, you know? I mm-hmm. think that there's going to be lots of, like, maybe his airplane pilot, maybe his, oh. you know, yeah, but his well, who, bus driver. See, I think it's going to be like, so another thing is that I really like how Santino's character is always associated with, like, modern art. The The last shootout scene happens in a modern art exhibit. You know, it's, like it's interesting. Like a house of mirrors. Yeah, this world is so gentlemanly. I think that this franchise is actually m- more similar to James Bond than probably most people would think because it's very gentlemanly. It's not shaken, not stirred martini or whatever James Bond has, but, you know, there's that awesome part where common and Keanu Reeves get thrown through the glass door and then they're at the Continental so they have to be civil to each other and he says, it's scotch, right? It's bourbon, right? Or I think it was gin, but you know you know what I'm saying. Um, so one of the underworlds, I think that maybe in the same vein, like maybe the opera house or something or like the opera singers will sell armed car stuff or that like a really cheap buffet in Chinatown or something will secretly have explosives in the back. Or Well, I, I love that the mom with a stroller, you know, the fact that that person's an assassin means literally anybody, you know, because... Or the woman <laughs> playing violin in the subway. Right. So, I, uh, uh, yeah, I think that it's going to be one of the... That's going to be where the comedy comes from a lot in the third one is just who the fuck turns out to be an assassin. Right. You know, <laughs> which... Honestly, if you, I love it. I love that idea so much. But if you take it to its logical conclusion, it's like, hmm, so these homeless people are assassins. I assume they make a lot of money and they have all these guns and stuff, but they spend all their days just like, are they in costume or are they actually yeah, homeless? they're homeless nine to five, okay. and then they go home to their so families. So they go to a home. They, the go, to, they go to a mansion. You don't probably. believe that the homeless assassins sleep in the subway and are actually I, I playing must... the part Daniel Day-Lewis style. 24 <laughs> 7 uh, no, with, I'm, with sniper I'm, rifles I'm underneath. mostly joking I they're imagine, method assassins I don't know that's a good question what <laughs> motivates because obviously they probably sell these guns for money right so why I don't know what do you think Austin <laughs> well yeah and then remember the operation that they're running on the rooftop with the pigeons has something to do with uh, microchips so and they're sending that shit all over the place mm. right so they're obviously making shitloads of money somehow through carrier pigeon yeah, and then even apparently they have enough money to turn down the seven million dollars they would have gotten from turning John Wick in. Right, right. So, which by the way, interesting fact: uh, apparently a pigeon was just discovered with like shitloads of I think it was ecstasy pills or something like that in a little backpack in his in his on his back <laughs> just recently. So I just hmm. read this news story and then I watched this film. And I was like, oh, I guess that shit does really happen. Wow. <laughs> you know, I bet you in the future there's going to be lots of drug deals done with drones. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It's probably – I mean, why not right now? I'm sure that has shit well, right now. You, you, and in the future, there's going to be hundreds of them so you can blend in better. You know, It's probably easier to see a fucking yeah, but ounce of weed. If you're a cop, you going, can't pull over a drone. You can sure yeah, find – Yeah, I always it. wonder, how did they find this pigeon? They must have known about it, and then they went to the place like the, where the – is, is it a coop? I don't know what you call a fucking pigeon <laughs> little nest thing on a roof. They it's must have coop. known about it and then gone into that place and found it. Because how the fuck are you going to identify the single pigeon that has a backpack filled with ecstasy pills? Good question. Uh, but I, this, I, I think there's going to be, in the third one, 
there's going to be like cheap knockoff watches in Chinatown are actually weaponized watches or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, in the comments, that's actually sec- a good guess. In the comment section, Melanin Monsta said they had a locker room for homeless clothes members. And- that's right. They totally did. There was a whole locker room set up where you also saw the guns. So, yeah. I mean, it, Thank it, you, might, it might be so just a character like a, they're playing. Yeah, it might be a hiding in plain sight kind of operation. Yeah, it's like, hey, doing. if we know, if we need a homeless, if we need a, a, an insider on the subway, we know to call that assassin, you know, because they're the ones playing the homeless person this So here's year. my question. How are these fuckers getting funded? Like, where's this money coming from? Well, they're selling guns. They're selling guns and they're, sell, they're selling hits. Yeah, so then there's got to be, is Contracts. this just like, so who's who's hiring the assassins? Rich people. The mobs, Rich various mobs. Okay, and and the mobs. So Bad it's, guys. It's, it's all like I'm wondering. Do you think it'll step up to the national level? Like somehow governments are involved in the next one. It's a good question. Where is John Wick going to try to hide? Is he going to try to hide at all, or is he just going to at the beginning of the movie say, "Well, it looks like I'm going to have to take down every criminal organization." I can totally see them going that big and being like, all of a sudden, like there's the president, you know, who all of a sudden gets a call from one of the people's like, damn <laughs> right. it, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give all the resources of the United States government to get John Wick because I'm a part of this clan, you know, and, see, I, got, I, think, and I, think, I got elected. I think that would be almost, I think that would break it. If it, was, that would be if too, it, if it went jump that the shark, high, it would jump, jump the, shark. the shark. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I would like it. <laughs> so maybe like right up to that point. Yeah. I wonder that. Because it is kind of fun thinking that this is some sort of black market world that exists as the underbelly. But now that they're building it out, they're almost normalizing it a little, almost to the point of like, okay, is this is this the point of its contradiction? Like, it can't get any bigger than this. We already think that like the violinist in the subway tunnel is a fucking assassin. So so too is my Uber driver, right? So how far does this go? Is everybody just a part of a different? gang like some people are assassins some people make bulletproof vests if you're a graphic designer you make websites that are actually like covers for hacking you know i mean like you're actually a hacker but you do graph it's like it's like working in hollywood all the elementary- everyone in hollywood works for the entertainment industry so even if you're like a fucking graphic designer you you make some stuff for the local bank down the road but most of the time you're trying to work for some sort of tv studio or something like that i think that chances are they're going to reveal some other faction of the underground criminal world and it's going to be one that's not associated with the continental that i think that there's there's always going to be the thing in john wick where john gets into a bad situation and he has to take refuge into some sort of underground world that he's aware of that he's introducing the audience to i don't think i think that's still going to be a a pretty big factor in the third one Hmm. because they could just keep building whatever they want yeah yeah what's your next thing you got on there so I wanted to talk more about this idea. In the last one, we talked about the idea of memifying actors yeah. and how Keanu Reeves. In the last one, we were talking about the fact that it's funnier because we all think of Keanu Reeves as Ted from Bill and Ted or from the surfer guy from uh, what was the one with him? And- Point, oh, break. Point Break. Point Break. And then or sad Keanu on the bench. Well, I think sad Keanu is the one that really came to mind this time, and how like he's almost like the sad Keanu version of James Bond, because <laughs> just like the real sad Keanu meme, he because the sad Keanu thing is that like he has a tragic life because his sister died of cancer. What were the other sad things his, that have happened? His to- uh, a wife and child both passed away. Right. 
Yeah. So we have John Wick has a similarly tragic situation where he's always thinking about his wife. But there's also something else. Did you guys pick up? Maybe I'm overthinking this, but did you guys pick up at all that Santino's sister and John were perhaps once lovers? I kind of got that feeling that they definitely had a past. Yeah. And but we it's never said explicitly, but there's a part where she gets like so close to him, like she's almost seducing him, even though it's not like a seduction that she's trying to get anything from him. She knows that John Wick is here. He is a man of sheer will. I am, I am going fucked. to die. But she gets so close. And then, of course, she gets naked. But there's something about this and how when you think of James Bond, he's like the ascetic James Bond where he never actually, you think of James Bond, he's always getting the women, he's always got the drinks, but all these things are contextualized in a very negative faction. We see Jane, we see John Wick it, interact with people that he had a past with. Even in the first one, there was like that woman at the bar who's like, oh, Jonathan, it's good to see you. And there's kind of a mm. hint that maybe they had something. And then there's the woman who tries to kill him that Greg was saying he thought that maybe they had banged before. So... It's like he's just as suave as James Bond, but he's the broken James Bond. Who n We never actually get to see him revel in any of the really awesome things that, uh, you know, most spy, badass, gun-wielding dudes get to partake in. Totally. <laughs> and, you know, James Bond, it's funny because if you really... Like, James Bond should be broken. I mean, he's had so many fucking women he's loved, you know, turn out to either right. backstab him or get killed by his villains and stuff. But, you know, he just keeps going on and drinking his martinis and from movie to movie. Well, that's why Casino Royale is so fucking amazing is because it actually gives you a little bit of reason to think that James Bond isn't a sociopath. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, uh, we've Austin has done some work with us on a couple of videos. We've done a couple of videos now where we talk about this idea of the post-Western. I think this is like the James Bond post-Western. This is the post-James yeah, Bond, was, James Bond movie. I was, I, I was thinking that. Yeah, there's like a, like the, the gold gunslinger gets drawn back into it after he's retired. And there is that, that sort of like revisionist Western unforgiven sort of mood here as well yeah no i totally agree and and another thing that connects us more with the james bond aesthetic is that everything is so gentlemanly i mentioned earlier with keanu in common going through the the glass window and it was like gin was it yes bourbon right um and then i mentioned earlier santino's father has this amazing art collection and uh i really like how every time we see santino he is the bad guy, just a real fucking scumbag that we all hate, but he's always framed at museums against the backdrop of either really really nice paintings or, like, Greco-Roman statues. Uh, that's something that, and this is going to sound really wanky, but that's something that Kubrick often does is he kind of takes really violent, horrible scenarios or people and contrasts them with, like, high art and high culture. And it's always been something that, and I think I think his point was that culture is not necessarily a sign of moral elevation. I don't think that's quite the point being made here, but I do think that it's really interesting, it's effective, and I really like how the criminal underworld here is just as buttoned up, just as gentlemanly, and just as suave as the world of James Bond. Do you think that that juxtaposes with the sad Keanu meme thing? Like... Like, how do you think that fits into this? Does does the sad Keanu meme somehow like enter into this, these familiar themes and 
take us out of it? Does it add something extra to it? Like what what makes you think about the memification element? Well, I think that it adds to the comedy. Before we were talking about, and I, and I mentioned this yeah. a couple minutes ago, is that it's funny because we see Ted from Bill and Ted, you know, headshotting a hundred people in a minute. But now I'm starting to think that maybe a probably more apt way to describe that is that sad Keanu is tired of being sad and wants to take out his sadness by headshotting <laughs> okay. thousands of people in one minute. I don't know. What do See, you think? I, I, the humor bit is is maybe the one bit, and maybe I'm just a, a no-fun douchebag right now or something, but the humor is the one bit that that I don't love so much. Boo! Or at least certain elements, like, like the Morpheus <laughs> bit. When Lawrence Fishburne comes in, I, I kind of was like, of course. But I don't really like it, it, it was like a moment... I got a moment of joy out of it, and then I was like, okay, that, that's kind of a cheap ploy. Yeah, I, as much as I was hyped for the Morpheus-Neo reunion, I wasn't really crazy about that scene either. More, mostly because I feel like Lawrence Fishburne was probably on set for a day, didn't read his lines, and just decided, I'm going to have fun with this. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he was kind of just overact, overacting. Wasn't, wasn't really a big fan. Yeah, because they were like, he was embodying the meme, maybe more so. He was embodying it, it was like he was trying to maintain that dynamic that they once had. And when you try to just simply reproduce something, sometimes it comes off as a little bit superficial. Yeah. Do you think they're gonna do a different Keanu Reeves reunion in the third one? Like Alex Winter. Uh, well, I mean or we, Patrick Dempsey. You, you, you've seen the uh the, Wait, is it Patrick who, who Sandra Bullock? The is White it? House one, yeah. Sandra Bullock, that's the speed uh, uh reunion. Speed, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, it it would be a way to inject a little bit of levity into it. I think it, it, it is nice now that you've mentioned the Buster Keaton thing, uh I can't get out of now thinking of the film through that lens as being just this amazing expression of physical comedy, physical performance. Because even when he gets shot and he's like lumbering through the club and stuff like that, he doesn't, we talked about this before, he doesn't like, I mean, yeah, he's still superhuman. He takes a beating that is not what a normal body can take, but he at least, they they aim at showing that he's affected physically by this, right? And he like leans over and he's like limping, but nevertheless, when it's time to initiate contact, he still beats the shit out of people. Um, and so there is an element that they're that they're being very aware of the physical aspects, and I think that 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 does kind of change the way that I think about the movie now. Like I kind of want to watch it again now and just think about Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan, John Wick. And see yeah. how that changes my my viewing. Experience. I really recommend that when the third one comes out, you see it in a theater because it's all. I think in general, when you're in a community of a lot of people, that kind of collective effervescence makes comedy a bit more effective. And then if just one person catches onto the comedy and starts laughing, it really infects the rest of the crowd. And I think John Wick movies are best seen in a crowd because there are like mm. sporadic laughs at mm. throughout these badass action sequences. Yeah. Do you guys have a, a favorite, like either kill or just little action sequence? I mean, for me, when he's in the underground lair after Santino's sister kills herself and he's got those three guns planted and one of them is like an automatic shotgun. <laughs> yeah. And then he pins a guy with the, the, the nozzle or the tip of the shotgun and then just pulls a 
fucking uh, a bullet out of his pocket reloads that's and amazing. just shoots him in the stomach. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing Keanu Reeves deal with like three guns, you know, shoot one out until there's no more bullets left in the clip, throw along this, uh, throw the gun to the side, pick up one that's even more badass. <laughs> and then that goes again. So good. I love the one where uh, uh, where he just chunks the gun at the guy's face, and then he takes out a shot, a, a pistol, and shoots him in the head. Yeah, <laughs> I like. Remember, so it's the one we talked about it in the first episode, or the in the first uh, about the first film, and I don't remember which scene it is, but it's something like he's shooting his gun, and he has to reload so that he can finish shooting the guy in the head or something right. like that. Yeah, uh, and he does. He does one in this one, and it's in the club, I think. He basically – he, like, pulls the guy's hair down over the barrel and then shoots upwards. Oh, Do you yeah. remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I literally I, – that's one of those ones where I looked away, Ryan, because I think you mentioned that. I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. If you it's were just, in the theater, so it, I, th- I think you would have looked reason. away, and then when everyone else is laughing, you would have started chuckling a little bit. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the, the, it, it's not a uh, – it's not a gun kill, but but that but when they're in the warehouse and then he just like sideswipes that dude and it and it makes him with his car and it oh. makes him you know like first the impact is so crazy and then and you know they don't cut and it's you see him hitting a beam and falling on the ground and yeah I've seen that in movies for the last several years where they don't cut and you're just which gives it this insane effect I don't know how they do it I mean that's obviously computers but it mm-hmm. seems it seems seamless it seems like a guy should not be alive yeah (laughs) who did that stunt all right now we're moving on to our segment where we have a conversation with one of our patrons if you guys would also like to become a patron check out wisecrackplus.com and you yourselves can be on the podcast so today we've got mauricio from argentina hey um i'm doing fine welcome thanks for coming dude thank you for supporting us it really means a lot uh thank you for coming to hang out with us uh first question have you seen john wick or john wick 2 and what do you think about them uh, yeah, I was um, I was working. I was actually working at a cinema when John Wick Two came out, oh, hell and yeah. um, I had no clue what it was. <laughs> uh, I I saw the poster and I was just like, "This has got to be some bullshit, right?" There. I first, that was so I'm serious. That was the first thing I thought about John Wick. Uh, I didn't know what it was, and I thought it was going to be really bad. Were you not a Keanu Reeves fan? No, I've been a, I've been a Keanu Reeves fan my whole life, and that's that's actually what worried me about seeing the poster because, you know, it's been a really long time since The Matrix, and I didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden, in one year, he like, I find out about two movies. Uh, the do you, do you guys see the whole truth? No, no, what's that? That's a um, that's a Netflix. Well, it's not a Netflix. It was in, it was in, I think it was in theaters also, but it's you can I think you can see it on Netflix. It's a movie about uh, Keanu Reeves. He plays a I don't know if he's a pro boner lawyer or something. Huh. Um, I haven't seen it anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so I was just like, okay, if it, 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 I, I kind of got like that Nicolas Cage feeling in the back of my head. Like, <laughs> you like, know what I mean? Like Bangkok <laughs> Dangerous or something stupid like that? Like, no, like, you know, just like Ghost Rider ish yeah. feeling. Like, just really bad movies coming out of nowhere. Did you like it? When you finally oh, did fr- see it. Oh, yeah. It was fucking amazing. Yeah, it <laughs> was really yeah. fucking good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. So I wanted to spend this time just to kind of get an idea. I want uh, the people to kind of hear what uh, our listeners are like and uh, kind of just get them to know you. So um, and since it's a movie podcast, I want to kind of do that through the lens of movies. So my second question to you is, 
Is there ever been a movie that changed the way you looked at the world? And if so, what movie was it? Oh, um, <laughs> I actually, uh, I read about this question in um, Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta, uh, there's one movie you gotta watch. And um, well, I, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, The Congress. Who's in that? Congress. Is that a, is that oh, a... Oh, oh, that's with Robin Wright? Yeah. I have seen that one. movie. That, that movie is like just bananas like if if anybody like anybody hearing here this that hasn't seen it do not even like watch the trailer you just have to watch that movie <laughs> well uh, can i because... not spoil the kind of overall visual conceit it's like yeah yeah sure yeah, yeah. it's like half animated and then the second yeah. half it's... oh i know what you're talking about this was a fantastic fest did you yeah. see it i did not see it but uh, uh i remember hearing all about it yes yeah, so and you like... loved it huh it blew your mind it worked for you no, it's just like the whole like second act is so um, is so abstract, and you're like, this is some bullshit. I can't believe I'm still watching this. And then the <laughs> ending, just like, you're like, oh my god, how could I have been so stupid? This is <laughs> this is actually happening. And you know, you kind of get that feeling like this is this is kind of like the real world, but you know, the movie. Uh, it's it's really messed. It's actually, I started crying. That's like really sad. Really really good movie. If I remember correctly, I have seen this movie. The movie is mostly about Robin Wright dealing with. Basically, it's it, the movie is like her expression of what it was like. I'm sorry, I have seen this. She, to, is, to she be, plays to be, herself. Yeah, right? and it's it's her. She plays herself. Yeah. Yeah. It's her dealing with being a objectivized actress after the Princess Bride and losing all her fame and realizing that people just want her for her beauty. Right. Yeah. Something they talk like about that. Forrest Gump and stuff. Right. Like, in it. Yeah. I, I, I saw this way after Fantastic Fest. That's why I didn't remember it. But yeah, I did not love that movie. <laughs> but I definitely can see it, it, it. Like once it gets to the very end, you're, I mean, it does do a really good job of kind of twisting your expectations. I feel like um, it's no, made it's by really, it's really cool. I compare I compare it to um, John Wick in the sense that uh, well, John Wick is a lot. Uh, let's be honest, is a, is a lot uh, simpler film, but. Um, you know, I just love the fact that there is no hand-holding at all. Yeah. And I've only watched it once. I swear to God, I've only watched it once. Um, you know, I love I love the small roles, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the cameos and, and uh, some of the actors like Paul Giamatti. Really fucking cool to see them again. And uh, it's, a, it's a real shame. That movie flopped, like, for real. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody knows about that movie. I, I, yeah, I've never I saw even heard it. of it. I saw it by accident. It's based on a. It's loosely based on a book called uh, the Futuristic. Uh, no, the Futurological Congress. <laughs> yeah, Austin, you you need to see that, dude. You you would love it. Yeah. It is. It's it's, it's a wank fest and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see uh, Waltz with Bashir, Austin? God no. Okay, it's by the. It's you like the are, same you, animation. You guys are gonna style. remember me. You're gonna be like Jesus Christ. It's <laughs> just it's it's just bananas. All right, but my next question is, uh, what do you think is the most relevant movie in the world right now? Or more specifically, what's the most relevant movie to your life? What movie speaks to what you see around the world right now or what you see in your life? That answer is unfortunately going to suck really bad. Oh, don't All right, like let's it. hear it. Um, well, Infinity War, obviously. Okay. Yeah. 
Go on. Unfortunately. I, I <laughs> why say, why I unfortunately? Say unfortunately? And I don't mean it. Uh, why is he cheering? Is he cheering because he thinks I'm going to say it sucks? <laughs> no. <laughs> why are you cheering, Ryan? <laughs> no, I, I, no I, I just think that's a good movie. And I, I, I can see that, you know, you've, we've fucking, as a, as a, as an, as a nation have, have uh, uh, invested, what, 15 years of our lives of pop culture-ness into the, into that movie. So I can see that <laughs> culminating to be in the most it's relevant just, movie. Um, I think, I think it, um, I, I, it's everywhere, man. I can't get away from it. I wake up in the morning. I listen to podcasts. I watch YouTube. The only things I get anymore are, um, these freaking, uh, discussions and what's coming up next. And it's just, I'm living in, in Marvel, right? Now, unfortunately. <laughs> that's what, that's what fucking pisses me off. You know, yeah, I really I I really, really love the the movie and, uh, you know, most of the Marvel movies. But it's almost I almost feel like this is like my whole life. I've just been in like this Disney test tube. You know what I mean? <laughs> I grew up with animated shit. That's such I grew a good up way with to put anim- it. With animated movies by with Disney, Lion King, Toy Story, and now I'm older and Disney bought everything that I ever cared about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really scared. Amazing. That's so true, man. So, <laughs> what? It's I guess really sad. If, if that's, I mean, uh, uh, what do you think is going to happen? And and the second one, what's your best guess? Ex- educated guess. Are those characters going to come uh, back? And how? Well, you know, the uh, the big the big news right now is how all of their contracts are starting to expire, and uh, well, Chris Evans at yeah, least. Yeah, Chris Evans to... just finished. He just yeah. finished. He said it was like I think it was the last time that he played that he, that he plays that character. So. He's done. He's wrapping. He's ra- he wrapped up at Avengers four, and he's he's done, man. He he's, he's probably done going now, yeah. to like yeah. theater or something. But don't you think a tweet like that? From all that? Don't you think a tweet like that is just a good bargaining technique? You know, it's like no, oh, no, no. He really, he really doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. It's like, um, I mean, I, it really, it, it saved his career because let's be honest, the guy, he's a great guy, but uh, his only, his only big thing was, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't even pull off being a superhero before with uh, what is this movie called? Oh, Fantastic Fanta- Four. Right, Fantastic Four. It's he's just so stupid in that movie. I was like, <laughs> this is a cringy ass actor, and then he pulled off uh captain america and, and he's been like you know a sensation since then see i think i have my buddy and i talk about this uh about how like some guys are just too good looking sometimes to be taken seriously as actors and like yeah. chris pine is one of those guys so what you got to do is you got to give him a beard and a hat and when you get <laughs> a beard and a hat like you can do with chris pine and you can do it with uh with chris evans too like in snowpiercer yeah. give him a beanie Give him a beer, make him dirty. He can do a serious role because he's actually. I think that Chris Evans, he he's come a long way from not another teen movie acting days, right? I like I actually movie. think he's a very good actor. It's just you got to get him the right funny. role. He was funny. He was funny. He was funny in not another teen movie, but the only reason we it was cheesy, right? But it's okay. Yeah, I give him a th- pass. Not... I watched I watched not another teen movie the other the other night, like a few like a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, and uh, it's a it's actually it's actually good. It's a funny movie. You know, and yeah. he does a good job. It's just that now that he's Captain America, it's like we look back and he was like, "Oh, it's Chris Evans." You know, I didn't know who he was before. I know, right? <laughs> but but I I think that this is like I think it's like the perfect time if he does get out. This is like the perfect time for him to go into his. I'm gonna be taken seriously as an actor now, so I'm gonna have a scruffy face and wear a hat, and I'm gonna do like serious roles with John Hillcoat or something like that. 
<laughs> you know, he might. Hey, I could see him eventually like getting a nomination or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. This is yeah. Like I kind of he's got. Hey, that, but you know, speaking of speaking chops. of actors getting breaks, I'm really excited about Captain Marvel. Like Brie Larson is this shit. I love her in Room. Uh, my girlfriend is absolutely in love with, with Brie Larson. I saw her in Community. I didn't even know who she was. That's another example of someone like that gets that's going to get a lot of rep. You know, after after their big AAA movie, uh, I really like Brie Larson. I think she's gonna she's gonna pull it off. I missed Room, but yeah. I remember Ryan telling me it's great. Oh, dude, yeah. Don't read anything about it. Okay. Yeah, don't read anything about it. I think we should do it on the podcast. Fuck, we should do it next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, I my... hate those. I actually hate those movies that um that you know go in for the shock value. But yeah, she does a good job. It's a good movie. All right, so you you live in Argentina. Uh, what are Argentinian movies like? Are there any ar- famous Argentinian movies that we may have seen or may have heard Wild of? Wild Tales, baby! Oh, is that from Argentina? Wild Tales. That's my one. Of my, that was my favorite movie. Dude, me yeah. and Ryan saw that movie yeah, together. Relato we loved Salvaje. it. I, I, uh, I I've been actually like a, a little bit like practicing this one because um, I am actually not an, a big Argentinian film fan, and uh, any Argentinians hearing me are gonna like come knocking on my door tomorrow and <laughs> kick my ass. Because we have this thing, like you, you have to praise, you know, national stuff. But I have a lot of things against it, you know. What, what, the stuff that happens here. You mean just movies. the movies yeah, that come out you don't happen to like? Yeah. What, don't, what of... don't you like about them? No, they are amazing movies. Um, Nine Queens. Uh, here's two examples that I'll give you. There's a movie here called Nueve Reinas, which is Nine Queens. Um, okay. The movie is with Ricardo Darín, the same one from uh, uh, Wild Tales, and and the second one I'm about to mention. Um, Hell yeah. They yeah, it came out. The movie came out in two thousand. It was like got like twenty four bullshit nominations. It was a really good movie here. <laughs> it was really important. Yeah, and then uh, they made an American adaptation. It's just called Criminal, and it's with this guy. Oh my god, Criminal. I wrote his name down because I couldn't remember it. Uh, you know, you guys know who John C. Riley is. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the Adult Swim guy. Well, no, I always knew him <laughs> as the the Adult Swim guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always know him as uh, uh, seen... Chess Brockman from Boogie Nights. He's like really important. He's a really important dude. And uh, well, he does like he does the main protagonist in that movie. And then you also have Diego Luna. And um, that's about it. So th- then um, basically any like decent movie that you've ever heard about from Argentina pretty much got an adaptation later to American film. Mm-hmm. Oh, like okay. um, The Secret in Their Eyes, for example. Yes. With this with this one guy, uh, I don't want to slaughter his name. Uh, he's this black guy from Doctor Strange. What was the... the um, yeah, you'll never get it. <laughs> I, oh, oh, oh. Um, he was uh, as, like, a, I know like who a you're talking character. About. He, I know the character you're talking about. I don't know the guy's yeah, name. He's the one who pops up in the post-credits and, and, kills, and kills the guy. Right, because he's, and, like, possessed uh, he's, or something? He's going to be the bad guy in the second one, probably. Right. Anyway, he, he does... Um, Ricardo Darín's uh, part in um, so Ricardo Darín's like this really important actor here. He's like one of like maybe the top five actors, and you know when the, what pisses me off the top ten movies ever. That's that guy. So that's the world I live in. You okay. know? And it, it oh, it's just a the lot same of, dude. Yeah, it's the same fucking dude. That's the thing. It's like there's no <laughs> actors here. You know, there's like there's one there's a comedy actor. There's a, a, a really important you know suspense actor, thriller actor. And uh, that's that's but this the, is one of the tough struggles that you get in the international market is that everyone thinks and to an extent they're right. They have to leave wherever they're from and go to Hollywood. You know, like I just watched Blade Runner 2049 last night and I was thinking about Ana de Armas, 
you know, she's Cuban, but she has to go to Hollywood to make it. I lived in England. I lived in Scotland. I lived in Ireland. And I spent a lot of time in Spain. And when you're in the entertainment industry there, all of them talk about how they can't wait to get to Hollywood. They can't wait to get out. And the shitty thing is it is it saps the local industry and the talent away from those regional areas. And so when they try to build like Scotland is really trying to build up their uh, their entertainment industry and you get the same thing in the UK. The problem is, is the UK has London and that's powerful, but even still everyone gets sucked out of there. So all the talent leaves and they go to fucking LA, you know? <laughs> well, this guy, this guy should have taken a break. What he actually said in an inter- <laughs> he, he, he actually said in an interview that, um, he was going to be, he was, he was going to be cast in, um, too fast, too furious because they wanted a, an, an Argentinian bad guy, you know, the, the one on the yacht with the drugs and shit. And he refused because mm. he was he was tired of the um, typical Latino trope of, uh, uh, you know, drug dealing bad guys. Pins, yeah. Basically, you wouldn't have seen him on Breaking Bad or anything like that. Right. Has he done has he done a lot of English speaking roles or no? No, never, never. He's con- never. he's always refused. This is like a, like a fucking He's an Argentinian purist here, like the, the equivalent to an Oscar. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, no, nah, well, I'm not. Gonna he doesn't do need the cause... that validation. Yeah, he's like, I'm I'm big over here, in my my home country. So what what movie are you looking forward to most? Uh, aside from aside from anything Marvel, um, Jesus, it could be. I Marvel. don't even know what's I don't even know what's going on anymore. You know <laughs> I'm I mean? kind of in the same boat as you. I mean, I'm looking forward to obviously John Wick three. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Obviously, John Wick three. But um, what I mean is, I only I only go to the theater like two or three times a year, and it's probably for um, Marvel related things. First uh, man. I went to see Dead. I went to see Deadpool two, and I was like, No, what am I doing here? <laughs> why Why did I pay so much to watch this movie? <laughs> they don't got movie pass down in Argentina. Huh? Do you guys have movie pass down there? Is that a thing, or was it a thing? No, no. no. I have to take a bus, and I have to go to another city to. to, to like one of my movie theaters and you know if yeah. you, it's okay if you go alone it's no it's no problem but you want to take the whole family it's uh it's 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 a it's a thing you have to you have to plan it accordingly right. the movie really better so we watched suck. so we watched it we watched we watched infinity war and then like the next week i went to see deadpool 2 and i was like i i i rather i wanted to watch infinity war again <laughs> <laughs> i hear you <laughs> Well, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It's just I think I think one of you guys said it once in, about Marvel movies. It's like this. It's it would be okay on a streaming service like what's gonna happen now <laughs> with Hulu. Like you know, most of the movies they're they're top, they're good quality. It's just it's gonna reach a point where it's just like the standard isn't gonna be. It's not isn't gonna always be reached. So it's it's not gonna they're not gonna want to put everything in theaters anymore. That's my that's my theory. Oh yeah, and that's going to be I good agree. for the rest of us because fucking Disney doesn't let you. This Disney had like cuts deals with people so that like I don't know what what how it is that like you can't on opening night or like uh, I don't know during how many weeks they they can only screen like they'll only give the movie to to theaters like uh, if they have a certain amount of um what are they called like the the rooms you go in to watch the movies. Yeah, certain amount of screens. They they do that exactly. It, they do that here. There are times where if there's like a big screen, like a dome or an IMAX screen, they'll basically if if there's a Star Wars movie coming out or something, Disney will say if you're not playing this movie all month, we're not going to give it to you at all, and it causes exactly. A big shit and storm. here and here it's three times worse because you have three variations of the same movie. So when Infinity War came out, you'll have 
the um, dubbed in Spanish version, the dubbed in, in English with subtitles version, and then the 3D variations of both of those. So there, there are four screenings for the same movie. Oh, and then mm-hmm. the 4D. The 4D. The one with the... <laughs> I fucking love 4D. Jared, I want to hear your... The wind that blows in your face? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of 4D, my, my, my most anticipated movie of this year is Alita Battle Angel. Uh, the in, in 40 in 40x baby James Cameron Robert Rodriguez 40x are you shitting me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it. it sounds like a cool theme park ride. Yeah, exactly. Slash movie. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, all right, last question. What do you think is the worst movie ever made, or the worst movie you've seen? The worst movie I've seen. <laughs> do documentaries count like it's sure. not really like those fake ass reality documentary movies that actors make sometimes anything okay this is okay let's see if you got this one um i used to be a Polly shore fan <laughs> go on hold on hold on so this guy the story is that one time he was uh tra- he, he heard from some person that uh you know, you could go to Africa. Does anybody know about this? He no, made a do- no. he basically he made a documentary movie where he goes to Africa to adopt a child. Polly Shore does. Polly Shore, okay. and then it turns into this weird thing where it looks like Polly Shore is like hanging out with like the whole thing looks like he- like he's just coked out and <laughs> hanging out with hookers and like um, he's got like this cringy like dub of him over the movie like narrating the the adventures and then he's got all these poor african people like like acting for him god like it's really really bad you gotta you gotta look into i don't remember how it's called look into Polly it's, it's called vi- adopted adopted <laughs> look into the into the his filmography that yeah and it's really sad because there's actually this like li- like this really authentic part where he's talking to these people in this town and he says, like, they're like, why do you want to adopt a kid? And he's like, well, you know, I want to I want to give him an opportunity. You know, I want to take him with me and I want to, you know, I want to give him a, a, a better life. And one of the guys is just looking at him. He's like, well, how do you what do you think? Why do you think your life? You, you, why do you think your life is better? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I even I was surprised. I was like, yeah, who is this guy? You know, it's- I mean, in fairness, I think he's taken the piss out of like, uh, you know, like when Hollywood celebrities go to Africa and they like Madonna or, or yeah. Angelina Jolie. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, think, I don't think I, I don't think he pulled it off. Like, if you're trying to say like he was like doing it like ironically to be like as like a, as a satire, it didn't it he didn't pull it off very well. He completely I mean? failed. It, 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 it was really it was like really insulting. It was really really insulting <laughs> piece of crap. And and my sister, I got my sister caught me watching it and she was like, "What is this?" And I was just like. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was watching. I was watching Biodome, and then all of a sudden, this, you know, I used to have this thing where I, I would, I would go through an, an actor's entire filmography, you know. Oh hell yeah! I was I like interested those directors. in them. And uh, that's how you. That's how you know if you're a fan or not. You know, like for example, I used to think I used. I, I'm. I agree with Jared on a lot of things. You know, like I know you're a big <laughs> Nolan fan, and uh, yeah, yeah, I. I was obsessed with Nolan just about as much as I was obsessed with uh, Keanu Reeves at one point. But then I watched his filmography in chronological order and I realized that I wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, really? Memento's, yeah. Memento's I great. had the opposite experience. I was like, I dug him and then I watched the filmography in order 
And I was like, this is guy's fucking genius. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. It's just his formula is so laid out that at one point, it's just like, um, I'm about to give Interstellar another chance because I just, uh, you know, it's been a long time. But uh, yeah. for me, it's Inception, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. Like, that time when we were at in the theater with Dark Knight Rises, uh, it, the whole theater was silent. We were like, like 100 people fucking thought Batman was dead. You know what I mean? Mm. That, that shit was amazing. But mm. um, yeah, anyway, uh, I got off track though. The whole What I meant to say was, uh, yeah, uh, the Pauly Shore movie, definitely. Well, <laughs> I, I'm just going to end on this. Uh, this is actually bonkers that you brought up Pauly Shore because there's a guy who used to work for us who is now Polly Shore's assistant, and he is Xavier. He he called us and he was like, "Dude, I can probably get Polly Shore on the podcast." I didn't know you were gonna yeah. uh, bring that up or not. Yeah, I didn't know if we were supposed to announce it. I was gonna be like, "Well, it's not confirmed yet, so I don't oh, want to no. say anything." Do you want to oh. cut that out? Well, what do you think? Do you think we should cut it out because it would be too it would be too obvious it would be too awesome just to Dude, all of a sudden upload? I just I just with said Pauly I just said Shore. for about five minutes about how he was coked out and how hey, Marisha, how he'll probably will show up coked out war with Polly Shore in 2018. No, oh, man, I'm telling you, I actually wanted to meet the guy at one time, but I just said I just spent five minutes saying that he was probably on a cocaine binge. Yeah, and, but, but, but he's not going to deny that. That's like that's like that's a fact. <laughs> I, I think we should save the announcement. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, for you, we're going to make it happen because I was like, I don't know. So, what, wait, wait, before we go, if we do get him on the podcast, what movie do you want us to do? Because we want to do a Polly Shore movie, but which one should we do? Oh, Jesus. Biodome um, Encino Man, right? Son in law. <laughs> <laughs> Jury duty. Oh, no, no. You know what you can do? You guys are going to hate me. Do fucking Andy Wexler. <laughs> what's that no what's the name of the movie with adam sandler where he calls everybody to do the movie with him uh it's like the it's like the infinity war of adam sandler movies oh, you're talking about like it's, uh, where he, yes, sandy it, sandy Wexler. sandy Wexler. Yeah. Uh, yeah well he's a cat he's a cameo in this movie i want you i want you to ask about. i'll ask him about it but, but, but like what, what's a movie that he starred in there's only a handful, Jared. There's yeah. only like ten of them. I guess we'll do. And there's only about two that are that anyone has seen and are good. So Encino it's, Man it's and Encino Bi Man and, Bi and and Biodome. You know, Son-in-Law is a, a, a runner-up, distant runner-up. Okay. You know, no, Paulie Shore is dead. No, he was a voice in. He was in. He was a voice in the Goofy movie. Oh fuck yeah! I love that movie. We'll definitely ask about that. Okay. There is that movie. Paulie Shore is dead. He was the, he, the Leaning Tower of Chisa. <laughs> oh, that's, that's him. That's him. He Are plays. He plays me? like the cool sidekick guy. Oh, dude! No way. That's probably sure. Right, the Leaning Tower of Cheese. It's amazing wow. that we all know the Goofy movie. Yeah. Wow. And he has. He has. He has. He has the great question in extremely Goofy movie, which is why do we all wear gloves? <laughs> and does he get an answer? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Awesome. All right. Well, Mauricio, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon, man. It really means a lot. It's been great talking to you. Go feed that dog. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Ciao. Yeah, dude, Mauricio, you're awesome, man. That was that was a fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm I, I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna go watch Adopted pretty much tonight. Adopted. <laughs> go watch it. Go watch it, please. In HD. <laughs> All right, Mauricio, take it easy, man. All right. Cool. Cool. Take care. All right, guys, uh, I think we should move into the mailbag. Let's do Ryan, it. Ryan, I think I've, I got some questions printed out for Ryan. 
All Go right. <laughs> uh, before we get into that, I want to give everyone a reminder that if you want to leave us a voicemail, thoughts, questions, insights, comments, whatever you guys want, number is 213-534-8807. But without further ado, Ryan, you want to read some questions? Yeah. So we got some good uh, Mad Max uh, questions um, and just little points to so this guy named Steven says uh uh the musician iota played the doof warrior the guitarist from mad max fury road the, the guy with the, with the flame homemade thrower. flame throwing guitar so i gotta go look up who iota is uh he scored his own music and his backstory uh had was that immortan joe found doof with his dead mother so Joe brought him back to the Citadel and raised him with the war pups. And then Doof wears his mother's face as a mask so he would never forget her. Does it say in the email where he's getting this from? I think this is, like, from interviews and, and stuff. Oh. I mean, so, yeah, hopefully this is correct. It's, I, I assume it's Because we were internet. wondering what yeah. the origins are for something so insane and awesome as the guy with the guitar with a flamethrower at the end who has a indiscernible bizarre looking face right so yeah, thank, he's thank an you for australian that, musician so huh. uh that kind of makes a lot of sense and yeah apparently he he is the dude the doof warrior <laughs> the doof. Okay, that's amazing you looked it up awesome <laughs> <laughs> all right man thanks stefan steven um all right so uh, david talked when uh, wrote in about our uh, uh borat episode which I was not here for. Right, you weren't here for. Um, but we were, you know, perplexed. Or I, I think I talked about how I was confused the first time I saw it with the the Pamela Anderson uh, kidnapping scene. Yeah. You know, it's just like it comes out of nowhere. And he wanted to inform us that, uh, he said, hey, gang, just wanted to share with you some info on the attempted kidnapping scene at the end of Borat, which I think some of you found a bit jarring. In Kazakhstan, there was actually a tradition of kidnapping the bride, sack over the head and all. This was traditionally... It, this this was traditionally if the families involved were unable to afford the typical exchange of money between families and other costs which are involved in a more typical wedding. The somewhat staged kidnapping of the bride was a way of avoiding a degree of shame and embarrassment associated with admitting to poverty while still allowing the couple to marry. Though a quick Google search does suggest this tradition is sometimes abused. Uh, so this apparently bizarre into a bizarre film is actually a surprisingly genuine nod to the aspe to an aspect of Kazakhstan culture. That's crazy. <laughs> I definitely thought that this was another joke in the whole Borat thing of, oh, the whole joke is that Eastern Europe or whatever that side of the world is just so foreign to Americans who only speak one language and have a very myopic view of culture that we can get them to believe that it's a legitimate cult. Uh, we can get any them to believe anything's a legitimate cultural tradition in that other part of the world. Right. But, uh, it's a real thing that's that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean i think i think that uh symbolically it's practiced sometimes by some cultures today from like tiny bits that i've heard in like anthropological studies but it's generally it's generally viewed as highly problematic uh, uh oh even, do we have even, a do we have a do we have a sound for that <laughs> even even by those culture standards today but they uh they practice it as like a symbolic gesture to the traditions of the past and things like that but yeah no so uh, you're saying in modern kazakhstan 
you inform your wife that you know I, I really want <laughs> to. I'm going to kidnap you tomorrow just to it's like, do justice it's like you guys to our cultural like sports customs. teams or anything like that in high school, and they like tell your parents that they're going to initiate you by kidnapping you, yeah. and then at midnight you don't know about it, but your parents let them in your room and they kidnap you. Yeah, we did that. Except my parents are really bad at keeping a secret. You did okay. that? I never. Oh, I got kidnapped. I didn't <laughs> really? kidnap someone. I did. Jesus yeah. Christ, Jared. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's basically just like a bunch of people that you go to school with that have never seen you in your room before just come in your room and wake you up, except I knew it was coming, so oh. I was awake, and I had to pretend Lame. to be asleep. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't I didn't know. It happened to me a couple of times. Neither time. My mom, she was all into that shit, man, so thanks for the trauma. <laughs> You've both mother. been kidnapped, huh? Interesting. <laughs> Um, so, th so these were some comments in our live chat here. Okay. Um, this Brian D says, "My favorite scene and uh, my favorite scene of the movie is when John Wick time travels to write his history report." Hell yeah! <laughs> and he gets Napoleon and Sigmund Freud and Abraham Lincoln and Genghis yeah. Khan. Yeah, yeah, I like that one too. That was a good scene in that movie. God, I cannot wait for Bill and Ted Three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the plot is going to be, but I don't really want to know until I'm sitting there in the theater. But they just they better make it awesome. Uh, They've had the plot for a while. It's circulated on the internet, and so you can actually see what it's about. It 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 should be interesting. Okay, cool. I'm Ra for it. Rolf Ransom said, "An oath is an oath is an oath." About when we we're talking about blood oaths. <laughs> That's true. I agree, yeah. Rolf. Um, Princess Rippy thinks John Whip is about love and forgiveness. Mm. Mm. Um, forgiveness. Yeah. Interesting. It's about I, I, these people I'd like like more. like have like a very methodical way of forgiveness. It's like there's a whole process of it. You will be forgiven if you do this, this, and well, that. that's an interesting thing that I'm curious is if there is some sort of holy, not often talked about way that John Wick can redeem himself in the eyes of the Continental or something like that. You know, like there's only one way to uh, re <laughs> to to reinsert yourself. And uh, re-communicate yourself in the continental, but it is an ancient way that nobody has ever done. I can see something like that happening. Yeah, yeah. See, because they do talk about eye for an eye, right? Right. Uh, at, at a certain point in this, in the second one, I don't know if they do in the first one, but they definitely they mention it at this point. And and because I am really interested in the idea of justice and what is justice, this is something that I think about. So, if it's a film that aims at forgiveness it's a film that complicates it and says that well maybe less maybe less about forgiveness and more it's a film about justice we should say but the idea is is that justice can only be carried out by you know it's like gandhi says eye for an eye makes the whole world blind it's about escalation it's about okay well we have this oath you must do this thing for me because i did this thing for you so it's a one-to-one -one quantified measure of equivalence and then well you just killed my sister therefore now i must act in an appropriate manner because again that's the rules of equivalency and so there's this there's this law of justice that undercuts or that seems to condition this underground world. But the question is, can you have a different type of justice? And that's that that's what breaks the cycle so that it doesn't just simply repeat. And maybe that's what that ancient tradition will do. Like that's where Jesus comes in. That's the Jesus myth or the Osiris myth or or various other the sacrificial lamb, right? Rene Girard talks about the idea of the scapegoat. That's where those things come in because they break that cycle of mimetic repetition that just endlessly reproduces punitivity or retribution, and you get to a different type of justice, something that can break that that circular, endless cycle of violence. So maybe I think that would be cool, that. but I have a feeling it's probably going to end a lot like the first one in that John Wick is almost dead, has flashbacks of the wife that he loved, somehow pulls through, and then I'm sure 
something reaffirming with the dog the end i think john wick's gonna get defeat the president of the united states who is a murderer <laughs> he's gonna get the keys to the united states treasury pay off every assassin not to kill anymore and make world peace the end you're you're missing a dog element is he going to is he going to adopt every, gonna do- every dog in every pound in america <laughs> yes exactly right. and then let them free <laughs> um, last comment last from Jesso. Jesso uh, says John Wick would never break a pinky promise, but he did. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, he ended well, yeah, up doing. He it. ended up doing it. And then she also said, but I he, was, you know, he said, "Don't do this. You're yeah. gonna regret it." Yeah. I think he re- he regretted it. He did. And then uh, Jesso also said, "Is this is that a tiny little pumpkin on our desk? That's yes, what is. makes this a live cast. That's, That's right. true. This is uh, we have a I didn't even realize that we it's have a decorative Halloween. pumpkin for Halloween. For Halloween. Good job, production design crew. That's right. Speaking of which, <laughs> Halloween show October 26th with the Funhouse Dudes, 10 p.m. in L.A. We'll let you guys know." About tickets, our voicemails, 213-534-8807. And before we sign off, quickly, what movie are we doing next week, guys? What? First uh, of all, Starship o- Troopers. Austin, have you seen Sorry to Bother You yet? No, so check this. So uh, Boots Riley just tweeted out that it is coming to Australia, like, ASAP. So Because they, they couldn't get international distribution. And then he went online to try to get people on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else to support... Uh, kind of getting or stimulating buzz around international distribution to, to kind of get the attention of distributors and apparently it worked so now it's it's got a uk and uh, an australian distributor and it should be coming out asap okay well for those of you who are patrons at wisecrackplus.com hit us up on the discord server let us know what you want us to do next week because right now it's wide open and then the week after that alec is actually going to be here and he really wants to do fight club but where can we find you on the internet, Jared? So, you can find me on the internet at Wisecrack Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ryan? You can find me at Ryan Shorts and Ryan's Game Show on YouTube and Facebook. I'm releasing a PSA, a call to action tomorrow for all Ryan Haley's on YouTube. There's a bunch of us out there, oh. and we need to bind together, unionize, and really, you know, all subscribe to each other's channels. So I thought you we were can- libertarian. What? <laughs> that, but yeah, but you you you, uh, you, you have a you, you, own own free will. No one's compelling you to to join our union. Okay, and Austin. Yeah, hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Uh, I do a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. That you can check out. And if anyone wants to do a deep dive into Sartre, mark it on your calendars that July of 2019 is when my book will be out. So. Oh, marked <laughs> calendars, marked marked. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Peace. Show me the money! Goodbye from Hollywood, California! Later.